Uh, I've come for the, um, what do you call it, the thing is the... Oh, your buttonholes. Yeah. They will be ready in two shakes of a lamb's tail. And what's that in English? Fifteen minutes. And Lily of the Valley is an excellent choice. Seriously, Gary. You might want to look like you're at least enjoying it, for Maria's sake. Oh, well, Sean. Gary Maria for keeps. He's a man of integrity, after all. Oh, it's all getting a bit alpha. Getting looks. I'm going to go inside. Mary! Welcome to episode 115 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that isn't quite sure what the Ben Shepherd blanket thing was all about with Mary this week, but I'd make sure she gets it dry-cleaned before she gets it back from Sean. I'm Gavin. And I'm taking you to Indianapolis today. Yes, you are. Are you driving? Happy my birthday, my darling. Oh, happy my birthday. Even though your birthday's on Monday. Yeah. But this, we're, we're, actually, we're actually breaking out of here. I can't believe it. I'm so excited. <laughs> The first time since Christmas. Good drive for like, well, it's three hours. I was lucky enough now to get out of state when I was taking the kids to drop them off in Pennsylvania with your ex-husband. Yes, <clears throat> which so, I will be doing next weekend. Are you sure you want to do that? Do you want me to do that? <laughs> I'm fine doing it. It's okay. Okay. Why do you want to do it? I don't mind. <laughs> Neither one of us minds. I don't mind it. It's. I don't mean. I mean this in the, with all the love in the world. And I've just talked to Ryan about this, my friend Ryan. Yesterday. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there is nothing better than sitting in a car on your own for six hours. This is true. <laughs> this is absolutely so, true. Sometimes that's just the best thing in the world. Of course, I was going to suggest we both go, but. Uh, that would defeat the purpose of it. We could both go, I guess. We'd have to take the dog. Not really. Yeah, we would. He could crate for the whole time, could he? For 12 hours? Yeah. No, we'd have to take the dog and let's not take the dog. The dog would love it. If at the end it's... He's, he's getting his playmates back. Oh, he'd be fucking unbearable. He'd be, he would be absolutely unbearable. <laughs> the kids would probably love that too. Initially. <laughs> <laughs> no, either you go or I go. Yeah. You go. Because I've done it yeah, plenty of times. Yeah, you time. Yep. <laughs> I'm glad we were able to sort this out on the podcast. <laughs> so then you get six hours on your own in the car, and I get 12 hours on my own in the house. Right. Or wherever. You you don't have to stay in the house the whole twelve hours. No, I'm, I'm, I might go and do something boring somewhere. Yes, <laughs> drive to work and back. I love driving to work and back. It's, <laughs> I've done this, I don't know how many times. <clears throat> For the first three months of lockdown, my car had a flat tire, and there was no point getting it fixed because you couldn't go anywhere and everywhere was shut. Right. But I finally got it fixed, and it was just so nice just driving my normal commute route to work and back again. Even right. though it wasn't going in. Right. Just a little bit of normalcy. Just a little bit of normalcy. Right. Which is kind of what this is going to be because um, while well, Indi- Indianapolis, the whole reason we're going, 
is to collect another dead president. I've run out, or I've lost count of the number that we've been to. I've, it's in the 20s. Mm-hmm. Is it 24, 25? Something, Something like, like that. that. Yeah. So it'll be Benjamin Harrison this time. Mm-hmm. Now, he is a unique dead president. Oh, oh, really? Yes. Because he is the only president who is the grandson of a president. Yes. William Henry Harrison. Correct. Who, who, we've, who we've already been yes. to the grave of. And who died in 30 days. <laughs> yes, he did. He's one of the mediocre presidents from The Simpsons. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, how you been? Good. Good to have, uh, well. Really? I mean, relatively good, all things to say. I've been healthy and I've kept myself busy. Mm-hmm. You know, still plowing through an existential crisis, but I think that's everybody. So I I'm, think I'm not you going had to... a little peak in terms of the existential crisis this week. And that's fine. It harms to everyone. Yeah. I've been I've been coping really well. I take I take these walks. Like every day I'll go to a different park and I will walk and I'll try to beat the steps I have done the day before. Mm-hmm. And that's been fun because I've been going to parks I have never been to before. I had no idea there were so many parks around about. And and exploring and stuff. Mostly in mid Michigan. You know, there's been well, Belle Isle was an outlier because You've been around about Detroit a couple of times, haven't you? Or past Chelsea. Yeah. yeah. Belle Isle and then um Ugh, I can't remember the name of the park I went to where the beach looked really packed, but then there was like one spot where I could be six feet from everybody else, and that was nice. And then I walked around a bit, and then I went and ordered a patty melt for takeout, but I can't remember the name of the park. I'll have to look at my pictures and everything. So I've been coping doing that, and then I've been coping by uh, um, rewatching all of the Misfits, the BBC, yeah. and that's been fun. Because, you know, there's lots of actors on it. Well, there's two actors on it that, you know, have have gone on to bigger and, and brighter things that I have also enjoyed. Uh, Robert Sheehan is now Klaus Hargreaves on um, the Umbrella Academy. And Ewan, uh, Ewan Rain played uh, our favorite character on Game of Thrones. Not our favorite character on Game of Thrones. <laughs> You're I'm sorry, I just blanked out halfway through that. Ramsey Bolton, you know. <clears throat> I'm not sure how we get from uh, State Parks to Ramsey Bolton, but that's that's fine. Yeah, and um, well, to tie it all back to Coronation Street, also, please, please, anything you want. Also on the Misfits is um, Joshua Gilgan, who played Wee Jamie Armstrong many, many moons ago. And then after Misfits went on to play a vampire on Preacher, which I think is going to be my next re-binge watch. So that's how I've been coping. And then we've been doing our movies still. We watched The Lighthouse last night. We've been we've moved on to from comedies to really bleak, dark things. Yeah, we reached a new low last night with Lighthouse. That was <laughs> I keep wanting to call it the windmill. <laughs> <laughs> It really isn't. It really isn't. Yeah, I, I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever needed to see Robert Pattinson masturbating quite as much as, as he does in the Lighthouse. Eh. 
Fair enough. It's fine. Like I said, I've been rewatching The Misfits, so I've been seeing lots of people. The BBC has this weird idea about how much sex teenagers have. Honestly, I, it's like every episode I'm seeing someone's ass or fanny or penis on the BBC. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Seems like the BBC. Yeah, it's 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 funny because I think a lot of Americans think of the BBC as basically just PBS because yep. m- most Americans experience the BBC through Masterpiece Theatre and Downton Abbey and, and Doctor Who, but... Which is funny because Downton Abbey's an ITV and right. <laughs> Masterpiece Theatre, I don't think is a thing. No, because Masterpiece Theatre picks different from from different bbc shows and does like a run of them and stuff but yeah there's also lots and lots of sex on the bbc mm-hmm. <laughs> not lots and lots of sex on pbs shall we preamble my dear okay let's go hold on to your man carla Chris Gaskin's real wife has joined him on the set of Corey. Yeah, they made a huge deal about this in the papers. Caroline Hardy will play a doctor caring for Oliver. Whether it's the same doctor that she played Cheating Hope a few years ago is anyone's guess. Mm-hmm. They haven't said she's played a doctor taking care of children before. I'm assuming it's going to be the same doctor. That would make sense, wouldn't it? Yeah, the couple of, um, which means it probably wouldn't happen. Right. But the couple of uh, shots that I saw in the on the news sites of it, mm-hmm. of her walking onto the set and him walking onto the set. Uh-huh. I tell you something, him walking onto the set as Chris Gascoigne and not as Peter. Uh-huh. It's cool as fuck. Yeah. He's <laughs> so super. I, I had I had to I had to I had to look at him long and hard because at first I thought he was wearing a Yankees hat and I thought that too and, and it wasn't and it wasn't. Thank God mm-hmm. because then he would have fallen from my favor. Oh, the the the, the coolness factor would have just fallen off a cliff. It'd have been <laughs> a, a Yankees cup or. Really, any baseball cap, but it, it wasn't. It was a. It was no baseball team. It wasn't a baseball team. I don't no. think. I can't remember what, what it was, but it was a footy team, wasn't it? Was it? Hmm. I don't know. Just... But she was wearing a a yellow jumpsuit straight out of the nineteen eighties. Or Kill Bill. Different kind of jumpsuit. Yeah, Kill Bill. Kill Bill. They didn't have those white lacy collars. Watch yourself, Bill Roach. <laughs> da, da, da. <clears throat> actors, defending actors. Gareth Pierce has been cast to play Todd Grimshaw in the show, replacing Bruno Langley, sex the offender. Sex offender, yeah. And some fans have been slagging him off as not looking enough like Bruno. I think he does. I mean, yeah. his face is a little thinner. And his hair isn't as dark. And his eyebrows aren't as bushy. But he's not a million miles away from it. No. Jack P. Shepard has jumped to his defense, stating that it's better to go with a better actor and not obsess over hair or eye color. Oh, burn. And seriously, it's been three years. Does anybody really remember what Todd Grimshaw looked like? Yeah. Unless unless you go back and you look at what Bruno Langley looked like. And who who has time for that in these, in these trying times? Plus... Look at uh, Addy 2.0. Oh, he looks nothing like Addy 1.0. He looks nothing like Addy (laughs) 1.0. 
that kid has a f- completely different build than the first one mm-hmm. and is taller. I think what Adi 2.0 has in his favour is that he's not in it very often. Uh, I guess. So you're not reminded of it. I think we're going to see a little bit more of Todd. Does ben, ben Price doesn't really look like the other... Uh, Adam Ricketts. Yeah. The Adam Ricketts. The Adam Ricketts. He's blonde, I guess. Yeah. That's, <clears throat> that's about it. Mm-hmm. They don't have the same build. No. Yeah. Did you, the thing is, you give it two weeks and everyone's fine yeah. with it. It's fine. Yeah, he's fine. And how long is Todd going to be in the show? He was a good character, that's the thing. Yeah. So it's good to have the character back. Right. Well, we'll see. Uh... <clears throat> and the whole, the cat amongst the pigeons be Billy. Mm-hmm. 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 And Summer. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to having another really good Billy storyline. Billy really hasn't had his own storyline since that time when he was a drug addict. Remember that? Oh, dear. He uh, <laughs> posted on Twitter uh-huh. uh, that he'd got his latest script that uh-huh. has him in it. Right. And he was very excited by it. Awesome. So I have high hopes for... High hopes. Because I guess that was the Todd return. Yeah. Sounds good. Yep. Finally, good news as Lucy Fallon lands her first gig after leaving the show. Our Bethany will be one of the celebrities rowing a boat from Land's End to John O'Groats, 650 miles in all, in the reality show Don't Rock the Boat. It's a living. And that's Corey News. That, that is... <clears throat> anyway, you look at it, that's Corey News. That's I Corey mean, news. you can put it under a microscope and you can... Mm-hmm pull it to pieces and dissect it, but mm-hmm. either way, you're going to come up with the fact that that was Corey News. It was Corey News. <laughs> so, on to our mailbag then. <laughs> no uh, comments about rowing to John O'Groats from Land's End? I believe I will keep my thoughts to myself. Apparently, one of the other celebrities uh, of the cast has already had to drop out. I can, I can imagine that's not... An easy thing to do. I don't know how entertaining it's going to be to... Who knows? How would they do it? Are they, are they rowing around the coast? Yeah. It's going to take forever. Yeah, 650 miles. It's more than that. What I read was 650 miles. Well, it's more than that. <laughs> driving it is like 800. And that's driving it. <laughs> rowing around the coast is... Going the long way. Well, maybe they're going the other way. The foot, foot. I don't know. Over land? No. I don't know. It just it seems like a weird concept for a for a reality show because you can't really be talking while you're rowing. When you think of that idea, you can smell the dope in the room <laughs> of the people who came up for that idea at three o'clock in the morning. This is what we're going to do. We're going to row a boat apparently 600 miles. Mm. Probably closer to about 1,000 miles from Land's End to John O'Groats. Social distancing, though. The dope is just... <laughs> oh, my God. Open a fucking window. <laughs> Our mailbag. <clears throat> Chris, just this minute, finished this week's pod. One benefit of my advancing years and the diminishing memory function that goes along with it is my ability to listen to the show again late in the week and not know what's coming next, so the punchline's the end of the jokes. Every clout. 
Please may I pinch Random Chicken Generator as a song title, possibly abbreviated to RCG. I used to have a list of short story titles, possible mm-hmm. short... The way I used to work was i get the title first. Right. And then i have read the, the story. story. Yeah. It was along the title. You probably still have that somewhere, yeah? And I had Random Chicken Generator on that for 10 years and just could never remember or couldn't think of the story that goes along with that title. Because I loved the title, uh-huh. but just couldn't write the story. So, Chris, you're welcome to it. And then thanks again to Joe, who not only took the time to get in touch, but along with his sister Ellie, they took the time to create a I Killed Rick the Chin t-shirt just a day before becoming aware of our merch store. They did an awesome job, and the photo is on our social media if you yes. want to check it out. That's a black one with white text, though, and mm-hmm. yes. and, and it's centrally... Justified. Justified, as, as but ours is... Left, left justified, justified, and black and white, and that kind of Catherine Hammett type way. Mm-hmm. Frankie say relax kind of thing that I always think is classic and yeah. never goes out of fashion. No. Plus, I'm too lazy to come up with anything else. Yeah, it's like those T-shirts that you know list the names of different characters on a in a particular fandom sort of thing. Oh, not too. Yeah, hindsight corner. So the Radio Times were good enough to outline the whole What exactly does Tim know about his mum And the long and short of it is that Tim thinks that Tess is his mum And as far as he's concerned Tim's mum was dead before he was born That is the official line Yes Which is what I said in the beginning Is what Tim Yeah, and, and, and you chose to argue with me Well, because the show seemed to be arguing something different Right A couple of weeks ago SIM cards. Driving back to his house and then disposing of the SIM card from Tim's mum's phone is probably futile. Right, yeah, because it will show that it died <laughs> right. right in front of the house. It will still ping its last location while on the phone, even if the phone is turned off, according to the NSA, who I guess know what they're talking about. One would hope. <laughs> or maybe not. And now this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to last year tonight. Just enough time to quickly talk about Drop the Wink. This was advice given to Steve from Liz on his presentation to kids. Oh, about the unicorn. Introducing Tiny yeah. Unicorn and his horn. Wink. wink. Yeah, maybe, maybe drop <laughs> maybe the wink. Maybe drop the wink. I'm surprised that uh, Liz's departure didn't make it into Corey News. It's because I'm really pissed off about it and because I'm sure we'll talk about it when we're talking about how it happened in the show while we're talking about the show. It's... Because it's just so fucking nothing. It... To, 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 for it to be such fucking nothing for such an iconic character and such a brilliant actor as Beverly Clark, I'm, I'm livid. Livid, I say. It is a Justice nothing. for Bev. It is a nothing burger. I guess we don't know the circumstances in it, and maybe this was at her request. But on the surface of it, this seems a very low-key. It's it. This is this downplayed is, exit for this is, a this is, fairly major character. Yeah, this is worse than what they did with what's her name, who you don't like, whose wife died, the lesbian girl. Oh, Kate. Yes. 
lesbian girl. Selfish, selfish kid. The whiny lesbian girl. Yeah. Yeah, I, I knew she was going out of it. Yeah, we. Yeah, I talked about it last week. And how her- that she had filmed her last scenes. So I was expecting something. And the way it was written up before made me expect something. But I'm wondering if they had to kind of rewrite that because of the world. Everything that's going on. Yes. But still, justice for Bev. And that was... We don't know the circumstances. But still. But it's a really... It's a disappointing way to finish a tenure on the street for someone who's been... Absolutely. Brilliant. A, a, a pivotal, one of the more pivotal characters in the, in Absolutely. the show. Absolutely. You think of... <sighs> and she's, at the moment, in, in the classic Corey, she's front and centre. Mm-hmm. And she's not... You know, she's been front and centre in more recent years. The whole Johnny thing, well, it wasn't... It wasn't her favourite thing in the world, mm-hmm. but... And then when... Uh, her estranged husband came back with mm-hmm. with his daughter. Yep. And the wardrobe choices were always <laughs> always worth the money. That's a shame. Anyway, let's, we'll, let's, we'll miss let's, Beverly Collard. Let's, let's get on to last year. <clears throat> yep, I was Gavin and you had far too many notepads. You still have far too many notepads. How many notepads I'm, do we have for this? Don't, don't you right, four? Right in front of me, I have one, two, three, oh. four, five, six, seven. Seven notepads. Yes. <laughs> I, I believe there was a uh, samurai movie of the same title. <laughs> it was a shortened week as we were off to Ohio for the weekend and we're off to Indianapolis, as you said, the second that we're done recording and editing this episode. So I have gone through my notes and I have removed all jokes to save time. So that should save us about 35 seconds or so. <laughs> I was triggered by Emma and her dead dad. You were triggered by Tim's fucking dad. Dev's back and immediately chastises Evelyn for the gambling ring, but when he realises his error and has to eat humble pie, he's going to have to get through Ruby before Evelyn is going to agree to forgive and forget. Robert's lies extend this week to the point where no one is quite sure how many people he's going to get married to on his fake 50th birthday. That was funny. It was Chesney disapproves of dancing. Carl and Peter are off to get their hole at a motorway lay-by. Andy say romance is dead. Moment of the week was <laughs> the amazing Emma who dealt single-handedly with the death of her father. And the boring moment of the week was something boring. And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last year. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Guess what the first story is? I don't care. It's the last story. No, probably. So the second story. Mm-hmm. It's Oliver and that fostering thing. Once again, it's a... Oliver Week with no Oliver. Mm-hmm. They still want us to care about this. On Monday, Steve is in Roy's Rolls morning to Leanne to check Oliver's temperature. He orders a sausage barm, but Nina tells him that they've had a supply problem and don't have any meat until tomorrow, mm-hmm. but they can do him a veggie breakfast. Steve is outraged. He needs a big sausage inside him to get his day going. <laughs> and and a, and a big... Like that. And a big phallic mushroom is just not going to cut it. Ah, <laughs> uh, we watched The Lighthouse last night. So many phalluses in that movie. He asks if they have a sausage in the back of the fridge, but Nina insists not. In that case, says Steve, I'll have a plate of fuck all washed down with a mug of get it right fucking up you. And off he goes. Yeah. It's all systems go. 
Karen is going to visit today and speak with Leanne later. That's the fostering lady. Fostering lady. There's still a way to go, but Toya is excited to get things going, as as Imran. And Imran is just... I don't know why they did this, but Imran was just... Uh, he couldn't make it. Right, because of the... Work. Yeah, Yasmin. So later, Imran rushes home, but he's missed the meeting with Karen, as did we. Toya explains that there will be a panelling hearing soon, but the interview with Leanne hasn't happened yet, and Imran urges her to chase it up. And so she goes off and she does that. Back to the sausage thing. Steve ends up <laughs> at Dev's looking for a meaty sandwich, but Dev has sold out. Dev has sold out his last meat breakfast five minutes ago. Craig is there and asks after Oliver. Steve says he's good in a horribly bad kind of way. Dev thinks Steve is agitated, and Steve blames a lack of sausage sandwich and blames Nina and her vegan conspiracy. And Craig offers his egg and cress because <laughs> it smells kind of off, which Dev, with his mighty beard, says, Oi, you! Dev looks really good with a beard. He I suits hope he it. keeps it. Yeah, I think he suits he really it. really suits it. I like it. So Steve grabs some sausages out of Dev's freezer. No one tells Steve McDonald he can't have a sausage sandwich, says Steve. Fair enough. 528, please, says Dev. That's an expensive batch of sausages. Is it? That's like eight bucks. Yeah, for six sausages. We pay like five bucks for a packet of sausage here. Yeah, which is not the same as five pounds. Well, it's not the same as five pounds in American money, but it's not like British people... You're proving my point while <laughs> you think you're disproving my point. Eh, it didn't seem that bad to me. I've I've paid... I remember in the beginning of all of this when there was no ground beef to be had and I paid like 10 bucks for half a pound of expensive organic grass-fed ground beef because it was the only stuff we could find so it didn't bother me and that's that's related to this how because desperate times call for desperate measures and he grabbed the expensive sausages because that's all that was left he didn't he just grabbed sausages yeah it's probably the expensive ones though, because no. that's all dev has dev sausage is very expensive you know quite <laughs> frankly fuck all about dev sausages <laughs> So Steve storms into Roy's rolls with the sausages and demands that Nina cooks them. Nina refuses and Amy backs her up. Health yeah. and safety. No one knows where they've been. Yeah, plus he he takes it out and he's wagging it around in his hand, you know, waving around in the air where it's collecting lots and lots of coronavirus. Nina tells him to cook them him, himself. In his own place. Which he misinterprets as cooking them there in Roy's rolls. Are you feeling okay, Dad? asks Amy. Steve waves his sausage in Nina's face. One way or the other, this sausage is getting cooked. Fuck you, says Nina. Out of my way, screams Steve. That escalated quickly. It really did. But obviously, just like with the Iranian yogurt, the sausage is not the problem here. This isn't about the Iranian yogurt. Yeah, the Iranian yogurt is not the problem here. Do we... I don't think we have the time to explain what that reference is about. I think we've talked about Am I the Asshole on Reddit before, so. It's worth Googling. (laughs) (laughs) And it gives you a new phrase to add to your armory. Right, yes. On Wednesday, the two of them struggle with the sausage. 
Amy begs him to put it down, but he's had enough of Nina's fucking SJWAs, forcing her beliefs on everyone. Nina calmly explains that they've genuinely ran out of meat, like she said before, mm-hmm. and Steve's sausage is no good because it's frozen and she can't cook it because she doesn't know where the sausage has been. Right. Or his sausage has been. And he's taking it out and he's waving it around in fingers that have probably not been washed. Steve's fingers? Probably not been washed. Probably not. Leanne comes in and sees his overreaction and drags him out. She'll cook his sausages. Steve seems <laughs> to like realise how much of a dick not he's anymore, been anyway. and goes off with her. Then Toya is on the phone to Karen and learns that Leanne missed her interview appointment. Toya asks if there's scope to do it later in the day, but apparently not. It's going to have to wait. Then Nina walks by, handily enough, and is able to tell Toya about the sausage incident and how Leanne dragged him away. Back at number one, Steve opens up to Leanne. They compare notes about their their respective meltdowns and how they've overreacted at stuff. It's okay to be upset, she says. He's sick of pretending everything is fine. Tracy apparently is concerned that his depression is going to come back. Tracy's not concerned about anything, is she? Tracy's concerned about I don't about know. Tracy. We don't actually get to see Tracy. No. So. Leanne sympathises. It can't be easy with Liz being in Spain. So, I don't think we knew that. So, Eileen is in Thailand and Liz is in Spain. And Liz will stay in Spain now, for the rest of her life. I didn't put this in the mailbag, but John... Giovanacci gave us a row about not knowing about Thailand. About Thailand. Yeah. And that was fair enough. Yeah. So apologies, John. You're quite right. He's he <laughs> He overestimates my 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 devotion to the show, I think, a wee bit. And my memory. <laughs> <laughs> not that I don't love the show. I just Yeah, I don't retain things. As well as I used to. Yeah. But anyway. So, uh, Leanne suggests they make a pact to be honest about their feelings to each other. No keeping up appearances here. And Steve seems genuinely touched. That was a lovely moment. Mm -hmm. Back at the flat, Toy explains to Imran that Leanne missed the interview to talk Steve down from a metaphorical ledge. She'll be bringing over dinner as means of apology. And Imran pretends to be a bit of a dick here. And then says, well, it better be the mushroom casserole. I don't think there was being a bit of a dick. I think there was him being kind of, kind of lovely about the whole thing, and well, yeah, got another mushroom reference into the show because so. he had a little smile at the end of it. That right, was, he was very cute. It was quite cute, as always. Leanne, we love Charlie. Leanne is good to her word and comes over with the mushroom casserole. Yeah, and promises to get in touch with Karen tomorrow. They chat briefly about Steve and how people are treating him and Leanne differently when they're still the same people, and Toya agrees that. Uh, there'll be no treating anyone differently here off with the kit gloves and all that kind of malarkey and Leanne seems quite pleased about that yes. and then Toya points out that uh, Leanne's got a pluck on her forehead and she should probably do something about it Yes, that's as far as we get with that sisters so not so much about Oliver but just about the really. way the adults around Oliver are handling the whole Oliver thing which is Steve doesn't seem to be handling it well at all if that whole sausage thing is anything to go by. Well, I think now that he's he's let off steam with his sausage, I think he'll be fine. But not like that. <laughs> and Leanne, who was the... Um, who was the one who was falling to pieces before, is now the strong one right. who's which guiding Steve. Which is what happens, I think. Yes. Yes, it is. As far as the fostering thing is concerned... Well, it's still kind of... Yeah. We're not any further forward with that. 
And I, I don't I don't think we will be until after all this. Mm-hmm. I think it will go slowly and we'll get mentions of it along the way. But I don't think they're in any rush to to have that climax. Now, fostering. Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily a, a baby. No. That could be... That's, that's typically not a baby. That could be a teenager. Because babies get adopted very quickly. So... Babies, right. babies tend to skip the whole fostering altogether. Which is interesting because for some reason I had difficulty imagining Imran and Toya with a baby. But somehow I can imagine them with a like 13-year-old, 14-year-old a bit easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, remember... I'm not sure why. Remember when we watched that movie? The one with... Uh, Lighthouse? Mark, Marky Martin. <laughs> The windmill. No, that was Marky Mark in it, where he and his uh his wife foster those three kids. Um, Sally picked Daddy's it. home. No, no, is it the family something first? Not first family, but um, and then the kid uh shoots a nail into his foot with a nail gun. Remember that? I have no memory of this. And Tig Nataro and uh and Olivia what's her name? Olivia Coleman, who is the one who baked the poop and the pie in that other movie, are the social workers. Do you think this is helping me remember anything? You liked it. You gave vague, it vague references to half people's names and then references to other movies that those other half-named people have been in. Olivia m- Coleman is a full name. No, it's not Olivia Coleman. It's Olivia... So, okay, so the wrong name then. It was it was Daddy's Home. <laughs> Moving on. And now you're going to spend... No, I'm not five, five minutes looking up a movie that is inconsequential to the conversation anymore. It's It's just, it's going to bug me. Instant family. Instant family. Remember that? No. Well, you liked it. Anyway. Moving on. Tim's fucking dad. <laughs> oh, fuck him. I fucking hate his face. This was good this week. It was good. Because there wasn't much of him. It was more all the other people around him. Being honest, this storyline has been top notch for about a month. I've mm. really enjoyed it when it's you know when you it jumps from scene to scene and you're like, okay, we're into this story now and now we're into this story. When it came into now we're into the Tim's dad. Mm-hmm. That, that kind of made me happy. Yeah. On Monday, Alia's home, angry at herself for losing her temper with Tim's dad. She explains to Imran and Toya that she needs to create distance between her and him and is thinking of selling her share in Speed Dal. Sally's in her marigolds and walking down the street. Yeah, we forgot to mention the marigolds last last week. Sally's and her marigolds is perfect. Yeah, kind of defeats the purpose, but that's all right. Because you know she's, you just know she's touching, because she's touching everything with the marigolds on. Uh-huh. So she's transferring things onto other things. She's not changing into different marigolds each time she touches something. But it's so Sally. It is very Sally, though. It's hilarious. <laughs> I had a dream last night that I was walking around wearing marigolds. Oh. Kinky. 
So she's walking down the street in her marigolds and she sees Tim's dad coming and she crosses over to get out of his way. He's openly hostile to her and distances himself from any problems Sally and Tim are having. He says Tim will pick him over her any day of the week. Mm. Well, I find that hard to believe. Mm. Because the one thing that Tim likes... It's sex with Sally. ...is getting his hole off of Sally. And he's not going to get his hole off Tim's dad. No. No, I hope not. Oh, that would be disturbing. Yep. Alia goes to visit Yasmin in the hospital. And Yasmin seems in good spirits. Alia notices... She does. I, I love the fact that we're, we're, we're finally slowly getting back to the real Yasmin here. She... Uh, Alia notices that Yasmin is just a shell and gets upset, but uh, but Yasmin says her operation will be scheduled soon and then asks after Alia. Yasmin already knows that Tim's dad has been a prick. He's not a well man, and she tells Alia just to stay out of his way. Yasmin asks if Tim has met Tim's mum, and Alia tells him that she's disappeared, probably at the hand of Tim's dad. Alia thinks Tim's dad has killed Tim's mum. Yasmin feels like she'll never be rid of Tim's dad and wouldn't mind staying locked up if it keeps her safe from him. Mm-hmm. I can see that. Yeah. She's... I I guess... She has said this already. She's like, you know, when she was on the phone with him and she finally stood up to him, she, she said she was glad she was in prison because it meant she was away from him. I guess jails and prisons typically aren't the safest places in the world. But for Yasmin, I think she's... Fairly low risk. Right, yeah. Of, of getting in any bother. Right. Nobody's going to bother with Yasmin. No. And there she is, and she's she's safe. She's protected. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have to worry about him. She yeah. doesn't have to... See him, talk to him. Do any of that nonsense cleaning stuff. Right. And worry about anything that she says and walk on eggshells. And right. She's... The, the, the price of this is her freedom. Right. <laughs> but I guess there's still a kind of... Uh, a mental benefit of right. not being around about Tim's fucking dad. And as as uh, as it was pointed out, I think by Alia, you know, Tim's dad hates it that she's in jail. Yeah, because he can't control her. Right. He hates that it got to that point because now he can't. It means he loses control of her. Yep. But. And he can't see her and he can't control who can see her. Right. And doesn't know what anyone's telling her. Right. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. Later, Sally catches up with Alia in the corner shop and asks after Yasmin. Alia fills Sally in and then says that she intends to sell her share in Speed Doll. Sally thinks that means Tim's dad wins and offers up the money to buy Tim's dad out using the wedding money. By rights, that was Yasmin's money anyway. Which is true. Absolutely. So then on Wednesday, Alia and Ryan turn up at Speed Doll and she offers to buy Tim's dad out. This situation is untenable, she says. After everything Alia has put him through, Tim's dad is not about to roll over and sell his slice off the business to her. She calls him delusional and leaves with Ryan, but not before she accidentally, but not really, lets it slip that she got the money from Sally to try and buy him out. Right, yeah. And he looks mega pissed about this. Absolutely. Back at the flat, Imran is getting pissed off at having to tell Arya for the millionth time to stay out of Tim's dad's way and all communication should be going through him. This this is fair. This is something that he's mentioned yeah, on and more it than might, one occasion. And it might have gone better if he had been the one to approach Tim's dad and said, you know, we'd like to buy you out. We've got an offer. Yeah. So, yeah. 
got an offer to buy you out. Imran doesn't even necessarily need to say who it is. No, not at that point. Yeah. It would have been. It would have gone much better. It kind of amuses me though that no matter how many times he tells Alja just to calm down and shut up and just not wind anybody up and mm-hmm. stay out of his way, and she steadfastly refuses to do so. Yeah. But he always reminds her. Yeah. I've told you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you shouldn't be doing this. And he's always nice about it because uh, Imran is nice. Alja basically ignores him again and goes off to speak with Craig to see if he has any information. Mm-hmm. Ryan goes after her. Later in the rovers, Sally and her marigolds are in for some hot pot and Alia fills her in, explains that Craig can't do anything without an address, which I'm not sure is true because they had Elaine's phone number or Tim's mum's phone right. number. Couldn't, and couldn't they have found her address somehow? Uh-huh. And I'm pretty sure that's what the police do. Yeah. yeah they've got I it. don't think it's the reason that they're on the planet, but I think no. it's within their capabilities to work out where somebody right. lives from a phone number. Yeah. Come on now. And by the way, I may have dropped you in it with Tim's dad, she says. In comes Tim wanting to know what this is all about, and Sally admits to giving the wedding money to Alia to buy out Tim's dad. Tim is mega pissed at this and storms out. Which, it's weird that this is the hill he's willing to die on here, because it's not like they can have like the full expensive wedding that they were sort of thinking of doing anyway well he mentions as much on friday at this point so it just and she's not wrong and i think tim realizes and acknowledge and has acknowledged the fact that yasmin obviously didn't know that tim's dad was giving them this money and that maybe that's not a good idea so are you trying to mask the chainsaw in the background I'm a what? Are you trying to mask the chainsaw in the background? Am I trying to mask it? Yeah. What do you mean? You were playing with the knobs over there. Oh, no, I was just playing with the knobs. <laughs> I'm a guy. I play with knobs. But not like that. Hmm. <laughs> so it just, it seemed like, it's it seems like this is a bit of an extreme reaction from our Tim to me. It just it seems like this is a weird hill to die on. There is a request for us to suspend our disbelief about his reaction to this. Mm-hmm. Because it seems reasonable to me that if the money wasn't really coming from Tim's dad mm-hmm. and was really coming from Yasmin or the business, right? that this wasn't really Tim's dad's money to give away. Plus... It seems quite obvious. Plus, if she's using it... To buy him out, and if he would have accepted that, then he would have gotten the money back anyway, and they could have used the money then, and it, then it would have been more free and clear. It's essentially yeah, returning the money, right? Which, so it's like, so again, it's a weird hill to die on, but never mind. Yeah, where did we get to? So back home, Tim's still in the mood with Sally, and seems to be working on the assumption that they're not getting married now that Sally's given the wedding money away. Sally tries to calmly point out that they still have their own money. They can afford a wedding. It wasn't Tim's dad's money to give away, and they couldn't have a big wedding under the circumstances anyway, but there's no talking to Tim. He thinks if she'd rather spend money on Alia than the relationship, maybe they should just call the whole thing off. Because she likes tomatoes, and he likes tomatoes. 
He eats potatoes. Eats I guess, pies. though, it is fair that she is siding against his family. But this is... But, again... And has been doing so for a while. Right. This is, And this is my point. You'd think if something was going to be the tipping point, it would be Sally standing up in court against her da- his dad or Sally defending this woman who Tim is still not convinced is his mom against Tim's dad. You know? As opposed to Sally giving Alia money to buy Tim's dad out which is better for everybody, and then Tim's dad gets that money, free and clear. Yeah, this does seem to be the ultimate betrayal, and again, what is, I guess we're being asked to disbelieve this, but let's not forget the whole chain of events as to why they're getting married again. Right, yeah. Yeah, that seems to have been forgotten as well, which is just... Because Sally would cast that up. You would think. You would think. If they're having an argument about the wedding. We wouldn't even need to do this if you hadn't been a bigamist, Tim. Right. Is the the line writes itself. It it really does. And yet it hasn't been mentioned at all throughout all of this. Because maybe it's it's a little metaphorical slap across Tim's face to mm-hmm. get him to wake up to reality here a little bit. Oh yeah, you're right. This is kind of, mm-hmm. this is all It's all your fault anyway, Tim. Fault. If you hadn't been so dim, mm-hmm. Tim. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So, again, who did I get to? I don't know. Um, we were talking about Tim. Oh, on Friday. Tim slept in the spare room and isn't talking about uh, with Sally. She apologises for not talking with him about the wedding money, but they both knew it wasn't Tim's dad's money to give away and we're labouring mm-hmm. this point now. It wasn't right. generosity. And, and he keeps going on about, well, he, she was married to my dad, so it's my dad's money by rights, too. Hmm. Which... Uh, such hmm. a patriarchal way of looking things at things, isn't it? Which is so Tim. Yeah. He was what I keep on forgetting is that Tim was raised so well by Tim's dad that it's only in the history of the show, like in the last few years, that Tim learned how to read. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. And yet he's so still defending this guy. His memories of his upbringing are right. really, really... False and yeah. manufactured and yeah. Anyway, but again, his dad's probably been gaslighting him this whole time. And oh, don't you remember I did this for you? And oh, don't you remember I did that for you? And oh, don't you remember you were a very happy child who couldn't read? Right. How did he get through school? Did they slip through? This happens all the time. Yeah. Kids just it slip does. through the net. Just keep getting passed on to the next grade and mm-hmm. stuff. Falling further and further behind. And then by that point, the, there's no time to teach you how to read because no. we need to get on to reading. Right. It wasn't generosity, he says, Sally, it was theft. It doesn't matter, says Tim, because the wedding's off now. What does it matter? Well, it matters to Sally. They can still afford the wedding, and he seems to suggest that this changes how he feels about her, but she says this wedding means everything Which, to her. Again. He still loves her. 
she still loves him. Right. But he doesn't see the point. Yeah. This And again, this seems like for all that they've been through, and they've been through a lot, for this to be <laughs> the thing that kills Tim's love for Sally, do we believe it? No. <laughs> I'm, 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 you go back to the whole Duncan thing and the Gina thing and all that right. drama that was around about that. And and they've gotten through well, it and they've minute. become stronger as a couple. But wait, because during the whole Duncan and, and Gina thing... And finally forgiven him for the whole bigamy thing. Tim was... Is it ever not Tim's fault? No, it's always Tim's because fault. Because he was ready to believe that yeah. Sally had an affair. Right. He was ready to jump into bed with Gina. Right. It took a huge amount of effort to get him to be on right. Sally's side in that whole thing. And here he is now again, but again repeating the patterns that he refuses would, to believe you Sally, would think refuses that to he believe his wife. He would have learned from all of that and grown as a person, but it doesn't feel like that's happened. And that's sad. Plus, he still has the tiny money. Because remember, he sold tiny. Because they just couldn't be bothered keeping a horse on set anymore. Did they sell it? He said he was going to sell tiny. And I'm assuming he has because nobody's talked about tiny in forever. No. Sally deserves better than Tim. This is true. So... Alia meets Sally in the street. It looks like Sally has been crying. She asks how Sally and Tim are, and Sally explains that that he says the wedding's off. He's so angry and so cold right now. Alia blames herself for dropping the whole whole wed money bomb. But Sally thinks this all goes back to Tim's dad. Every road leads to Tim's dad. That's true. She also thinks that she and Tim might have reached the end of the road, so to speak. (sighs) That's not going to happen. It might. It's not. It might. So, Sally's at home when Tim's dad just walks in and comes in to gloat about the cancelled nuptials. When Tim's dad saw Tim, he was 48% sad, 52% relieved. A bit like Brexit, says Tim's dad. Ha 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 ha, we haven't had a Brexit joke in a while. No. He tells her that she backed the wrong horse and uh, by putting her money on his fantasist wife. You've been duped, he says, my dear. Sally says Tim's dad is destroying Tim's life. He thinks that she's doing a pretty good job of that herself and claims to have told Tim that the only way to get over a woman is to get under a new one. Sally demands to know what happened to Tim's mum and Tim's dad says she's probably sectioned by now. Go home to the house that isn't yours, Tim's dad says Sally. That was brilliant. That was brilliant. Who has been brandishing a mop the whole time, which I thought might have triggered Tim's dad after the broom incident last Mm -hmm. week. Then Faye sneaks down the stairs and hears this continued argument. Tim's dad telling Sally that Tim will always pick him over her and he says he walks on water while Sally just grows wrinklier and more boring by the day. Oh, you cheeky prick. Who the fuck do you think you're talking to, says Faye. And Tim's dad immediately starts to backtrack. Yeah. He went too far. Sally thinks he was just lumbering up, though. Tim's dad apologises. Faye has given him a wake-up call, but then he accuses Sally of spending the last few months trying to destroy his good name and his relationship with Tim. He actually said that out loud in front of Sally. Yeah. Yeah, he did. It knows no bounds. No. <laughs> he is the Donald Trump of the street. Oh, God. No, that's another podcast. 
like as Lord far Lord. as saying the the bad bits out loud and getting away with it, he's the Donald Trump of the street. But he's was. But he said he was still out of order, and Sally tells Faye to show Tim's dad the door. He apologises again, saying he must learn now to live with Sally's hatred. I like I like this turn of Faye. I, I like how Faye has kind of turned herself. It's been kind of nice. When Faye came down the stairs uh-huh. and overheard that, and we don't know how much of it she heard. Yeah. She heard enough. But th- once again, it's Faye coming down the stairs that has allowed her to learn things that have been kept from her. Because Faye... last week, it was Faye coming down the stairs a speed doll and overhearing the conversation between Tim's dad and Fred Armisen in a dress. Right. Faye should just be continually going downstairs. Yes. She'd be the fountain of all knowledge within a week. She'd make a great mime. Timbot4000 says shit just got interesting. It really did. <laughs> now that Faye... Losing Faye... Yeah. ...is massive. Yeah. Because even more than Tim, Faye was the one who wasn't scared to show that mm-hmm. her allegiances were with family. Right. Because she moved out uh-huh. of the house and she moved in with Tim's dad just for a little while and then yeah. moved back again and we don't talk about that. No. But she was very much off the the opinion that Sally was betraying the family here. Mm-hmm. She don't think that anymore. No. Nope. And combined with what happened last week with Faye seeing mm-hmm. Tim's dad and Tim's mum. Mm-hmm arguing yeah that that combined with this yeah and Faye is smarter than her dad so <laughs> right she will put two and two together a bit more quickly and that may actually be something that turns tim more than sally because tim tim loves his kid yep even though he didn't know she was his kid for a long time but if if tim realizes that Faye is now Team Yasmin, mm-hmm. I think that's going to be the the point where he starts to question himself. Yes. Why am I the only person who doesn't see this? Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. Mm-hmm. Really enjoying that. Yes. And such good performances from everyone. Sally and Tim's dad, that last scene was really, really good. Really good. Yes. It always seems to be a better scene when someone is brandishing a household item. <laughs> at Tim's dad but he was so cocky right and he was so superior and mocking off and her then and then the switch when he realizes Faye is there oh, is just because it's not kiss. just it's not just the words coming out of his mouth his whole demeanor changes his face changes his body posture changes everything changes he's such a chameleon mm-hmm. and that's just the best acting. Oh, it's 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 having all the power in the world to have and no power at all. Right. And and being the the broad chested cock of the north mm-hmm. to just being this kind of shriveled little oh pity oh, me oh pity the wee old man. And it's hard to see it sometimes because the character is so horrible. Mm-hmm. But. It bears repeating that Ian Bartholomew's acting as Tim's dad is just fucking incredible. So good. (laughs) On to Gemma's quad vlog. A quad vlog? Mm. It's a vlog. About quads. About quads. 
In the cabin, Cathy wonders why Gemma isn't vlogging anymore. But with eight people in that house, Gemma says that she never finds the time there's eight people in that house. Hey, Five babies. Uh-huh. No, there's nine people four, in four the babies. house. Four babies. Four babies. Four. Joseph, Chesney, Gemma, and, and Bernie. Bernie. Yeah, that's eight. Eight people in that house. Why did I think there were five babies? Why did I think there were quints instead of quads? Who knows? And see, John, this is why we can never, <laughs> never be held to account for remembering anything. Anything about Eileen in Thailand. Cathy <laughs> says that should mean people could help out with her and give her half an hour. Cathy tells her to find a quicker way of getting her message out there. It's been so useful for so many. So back home, Gemma is now live streaming, talking about the quads and their eating habits, specifically mushy peas. If there's one thing that Gemma could eat for the rest of her life, it'd be mushy peas. I do love the mushy peas. And chips. And pizza. And burger. <laughs> and then a half-naked Chesney comes down the stairs complaining that one of the quads has puked up mushy peas all over his shirt. Which was hilarious. That was funny. Then he realises that he's on Gemma's camera and she tells him that he's live. And he loses his fucking mind and runs up the stairs. Which I can kind of understand. Because he's in his undercrackers. Yeah, she should have told him that that's what she was about to do. So if you walk in, then... Right, but then, yeah. did, does she expect him to come in half-naked? It's mm. a kind of everyone sucks yeah, here kind of thing, isn't it? The baby puked on your shirt. That doesn't explain why you're not wearing any pants. <laughs> Later, Chesney's got dressed and come down the stairs. Gemma thinks that he might go viral and become a sex symbol. She loves, <laughs> she loves Chesney's milky white chest. Her vlog is for moms. They'll love it, warts and all. Uh huh. So Wednesday, Chesney come home. Chesney comes home and apologizes for shouting at her. Uh, he should have been more supportive. Then they check out the comments on the video and they're not good, generally suggesting that Chess needs a fucking slap. But then Van87 says that she can sympathise. She seems to be someone who's struggling with just one kid. Gemma reaches out to Van87 and offers to video chat later, which Chesney is appalled at. And I kind of understand. Nobody does that, do they? To a complete stranger? Well. You play words with friends with complete strangers. But they don't see your face. I do. But they hear your voice every week. And they've seen pictures of you on the internet. Who? Everybody. Everybody? Yes. You've, you've, we've posted pictures of ourselves on the Twitter. Oh, we have, yeah. Yeah. So your face is out there. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody could stalk us if they wanted to. That seems like an appeal. No. It's not. Please don't. Please don't. There's a pandemic on. Stay home. Stay safe. So later, Gemma calls Van87 and wouldn't you know it, it's Vanessa, one of those horrible cows, those yummy mummies from a few months ago that was nasty to Gemma. Gemma thinks it's a prank, but Vanessa says it isn't and says her videos have been really helping her. Things haven't worked out too well for Vanessa uh, since everything that happened. Her husband has left her for the babysitter. They had a really bad lockdown, apparently. Mm-hmm. What a cliche, she says. Then Imogen dumped her as a mate as well. It was their husbands that were close, not them, Vanessa says. Gemma takes pity on her and listens to her situation and how guilty she feels for the past. She asks if they can put it behind them and Gemma, for whatever reason, accepts and the two of them continue to chat. Because Gemma is a nice person. Too nice. 
On Friday, it's all quiet, Gemma's when she gets a message. Chesney thinks that she's up to something and Gemma confesses that she's back in contact with Vanessa, who was Van 87, and Ches is outraged. Her and that cow Imogen made Gemma's life hell. Gemma recounts Vanessa's sob story, abandoned by her husband in favour of an 18-year-old with tits to spare. Yeah, a double G. Vanessa needs her. She wants to meet. Chesney can't give her, uh, can't give her his blessing to the idea, but he bites his tongue. It's your call, he says. Then later, a masked up Bernie's and Dev's going to lecture from him about the beauty of sardine and mackerel tins. <laughs> then in comes Where's Waldo? I mean, Chel- uh, Chesney. Looking like he doesn't know what to do with himself and seems content to wander aimlessly around the shop. Bernie asks what's up and Ches explains about the Vanessa's return into Gemma's life. Bernie is so shocked, she pulls off her mask. Yes. What? It's his, it's his bird on it. It's, it's a... It's a- a finger giving she's giving a finger to the patriarchy somehow the bird mask. i didn't i didn't really get that no me neither so bernie goes to meet vanessa in the metaphorical community garden and she gives vanessa a piece of her mind you bully Gemma. you ply the drink you destroy their confidence just fuck off and let Gemma go on with her life mm-hmm. vanessa's problems aren't Gemma's, and it's a bit late uh, to be trying to big up the sisterhood you kicked her when she was at her lowest with depression stay out of Gemma's life or bernie will be the one doing the kicking yeah which was good and was a lovely speech by her defending her daughter but however how is Gemma going to feel when she walks into that community garden and Vanessa's not there and it feels like she slagged her off yeah it was typical Bernie typical Bernie being Mm -hmm. impetuous and sticking her nose in and stuff but but it was a nice thing to do kind of needed to be said. Right. You wouldn't have given Vanessa another chance. I wouldn't? Yeah. Oh, God, no. I probably would have. Would you? Probably. I'm a nicer person than you are. Says who? Says me. Says no one. I'm a fucking delight. (laughs) You are someone that everybody loves. And I never hear a bad word about you. But you hate people. I do hate people. <laughs> I'm a people person who hates people. That's true. You've been called that before. By people who... By, from someone like who you. likes me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Our penultimate storyline today is t- the twins down under. There's just one scene here. On Friday, Abby sees Seb outside Roy's Rolls. She's changed her mind and she wants to see the twins before they go. He doesn't think it's fair to build up their hopes again and then dash them, but she promises that she means it this time and that St. Sebastian can help convince a social worker that their poor excuse for a mother means it. She's wallowing in self-pity and he says, well, you've walled in worse, like puke, which was unnecessarily specific. But she's doing all right now. She can forget those bad memories and start focusing on making new ones. Right. And it seems like they have mended fences, which is good. A little bit. Yeah. I can only assume we're going to get more of this mm-hmm. next week. Yeah. Given that it was only like on for and, and two And she'll minutes. actually get a chance to say goodbye to the twins, which will be nice. How are they moving to Australia, though, with a lockdown? Surely Again, Helen. Again, Helen. You, this is fiction. It's operating in a fictional universe. That's just borrowing yeah, certain things from real Eileen life. Yeah, but if Eileen can't get back from Thailand... How can the twins get to Australia? Well, maybe Eileen doesn't want to get back from Thailand. <laughs> I can see that. Uh, Sean mentioned something about that this week, about how 
how old the Oh, are we not going to hey talk boys? about are, are we not going to talk about Sean and Mary? Yeah, that comes up in their final storyline. Does it? Which is the Ginger Gangster. Yeah. Oh. I didn't realize you were wrapping them into the Ginger Gangster stuff. There was no place else to put that. Mm. <laughs> you didn't want to give them their own storyline. For that? <laughs> they get two scenes. Abby just does one. Yeah. It's not fair. The Abby scene felt more than throwaway, though. Hmm. Or comic relief. Which I think is what Mary and Sean... The intention of Mary and Sean this week is, is to give a little bit of lightheartedness amongst a lot of really dark and depressing storylines about abuse and death and loss. And depression. Yeah. And sausages. And sausages, yeah. And sausages. Or the lack thereof. I'm a sausages. We had sausage the other night. Anyway. <laughs> on Monday, Bernie's heading to work and Adam is, well, heading somewhere. She wants a quick flash, but not like that, of his fancy new watch. He admits that Sarah hasn't given it to him yet. He tells her uh, that she gave it to charity. She's surprised and wonders if it was the inscription that put him off, to Rick or Rich or something, and this piques Adam's interest. Bernie claims a bad memory thanks to partying in the 90s, but Ban used to remember it was Rick the Chin to Laura the Chin. Apparently she went to a lot of raves in the 90s. Mm -hmm. He asks where she found it, and after he greases her palm, but not like that, she admits that she found it while detecting with Brian and Beacon Woods. Also, Gary's interested in buying it off her. So, Bernie Exposition does a fantastic job in just one scene mm -hmm. of uh, basically... And it's believable exposition too. It's believable that she would tell him all of this because she doesn't know. I'm she's not sure she would of, bring up the watch in the first place. She's still just kind of bragging about it. Yeah. I think she would because she's quite proud of the fact that she found this thing. In the cabin, Kirk, Kathy, and Gemma are talking about the upcoming nuptials of Gary and Maria which seem to be coming up quicker than we thought. The stag and hen do's have been cancelled, but Kathy tells Kirk, uh, but Kathy talks Kirk into a virtual party and suggests he dresses up as Buzzard the Bee. <laughs> Craig, who doesn't work at the factory, turns up at the factory with Sarah's clutch bags that she left in the ambulance. Sarah is appreciative, but not interested in checking the contents in front of Craig. When he goes, she opens it and pulls out the watch. I'm surprised they didn't make him dye his hair back. Because he's, he's blonde still. He's not back to his old ginger self. Right. You know, everybody else, nobody else has their, their lockdown hair colours anymore. No, and uh, Charlie had shaved his head. Right. That's going back pretty quick. Yes. What a very old man Charlie must be. <laughs> <laughs> Puts me to shame. Later, Sarah's checking the watch like it's going to say something new. Bananas. Scratch messages into the skin. What? Why are you talking about bananas? Scratching oh. messages into the skin. I don't know why I've written that down. Like like a banana with a message scratched into the skin? Like you scratch a message into a banana and then as it browns, the message shows up? Right, so you can scratch into a banana. I know what you did. Yeah, or store, I'm going to kill you in the store and, and then somebody home. else buys it. And as the banana browns, then this message comes up and you're terrorizing people you don't know. Yep. No. That doesn't seem like a nice thing to do. No. 
I don't, I still don't know why I've written that down. Yeah, yeah you're probably thinking that there's a message that, that the watch is going to reveal a message like a like a banana. Right. With a message scratched into its skin. Then Adam, who doesn't work at the factory, comes into the factory and Sarah hurriedly puts the watch back in the clutch bag. He wants to take her to lunch, but she's delayed by Kirk in his Buzzard the Bee costume. I worry about Kirk sometimes. Hmm. It's like one cry for help after the other, and he goes off to the photocopier and causes a jam or something that Sarah has to go off to fix, leaving Adam free to rummage about in Sarah's bag. Then Sarah comes back and Adam is no longer in the mood for lunch. He has a couple of questions. She's not interested in going through it all again, but Adam has a new question. What was Rick the Chin's watch doing in her handbag? Mm-hmm. On Wednesday, she, she grabs a watch and suggests they go and get, get home and get something to eat. Adam can't pretend and wants to know why she's keeping secrets for Gary. She refuses to talk with him while he's in this kind of mood. And she makes to leave, but he stops her. She's not going anywhere until she explains exactly what happened on the day of the accident. Or maybe he should just ask Gary why his wife is walking around with a dead man's watch. Mm-hmm. Sarah says she's going to explain, but denies it when Adam asks if Rick the Chin is dead. She tells him about Bernie finding the watch, buying it and c- confronting Gary with it, but stops short at Gary's confession. If Rick the Chin really is dead, whose loss is it? Lawyer Adam finds it hard to stomach that Sarah seems to be giving Gary carte blanche to go around killing anyone that he doesn't like. Right, and points out that Rick the Chin, while not a nice man, has a daughter who does, hasn't gotten a chance to grieve him and still thinks he's, and thinks he's, you know, abandoned her, you know. And also mentions Laura, who we really don't have any sympathy for, but, you know. No, and I suspect that we might have seen the last off. Kelly the Chin, on the other hand. Yeah, we're sympathetic to her. We should be sympathetic to her. She says if he did it, it was in self-defense and in defense of her and her family. He doesn't deserve the jail. Adam points out that she's voluntarily become an accessory to murder. Sarah knew he'd react like this, which is why she didn't tell him. He points out that she's lied to the police about murder and she's lied to him and made him feel guilty for pursuing his suspicions. Mm -hmm. He asks if she's still in love with Gary. She says that she's been through a lot with him. Adam takes this as a yes and leaves. Don't wait up, he tells her. And Sarah is so upset by this that the first thing she does is dispose of the watch into a garbage collector's bin. Why? Why would she still be in love with Gary? Why would anybody be in love with Gary? Seriously, I don't understand the appeal of Gary. His name is Gary, for one. That's... That's this is that's not it's not a bad name. It's not Keith. It it may as well be Keith. Sorry, anybody called Keith who's listening to this. Or Gary. Or Gary. Name one good Gary. Gary Coleman. He's dead. <laughs> and was he really good? What are you talking about? <laughs> of course he was. Do you know him personally? I didn't not know him <laughs> impersonally. I'm a good judge of people. <laughs> <coughs> well, you're a good judge of wives. I'll give you that. Sarah turns up at the law office insisting that she loves Adam and only him. She says that she'll do anything to make this right. Okay, then hand the watch over to the police, he says. Uh, and say that you just found it in the woods today. Don't you think that Kelly the Chin deserves the truth? But Sarah says that she's already got rid of it. It'll be in landfill by now. 
that's that, says Adam. You've made your choice between protecting your ex or saving your marriage. It, it's probably still in her trash can. Has the, has the trash already been collected? That was what he was doing, was taking the trash away. It's what, who was doing? The bin man. Did we see the bin man? Yeah. Oh. He actually got a line. She said, is it okay if I just put this in? And he was like, yep, that's fine. Oh. Gary, he says, has played a blinder because Adam can't go to the cops without dropping Sarah in it. He tells her to leave, and tearfully she does as she's told. Back at David's, he's playing Fortnite against Audrey. I love that. I love <laughs> the fact that he's playing... That this is this is how we're getting Audrey into the show. She's taking care of her boredom in lockdown by playing video games. Right. <laughs> I assume it was Fortnite. It might have been Call of Duty. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It- but it doesn't matter. The it's fact the that fact that she's playing video game that they they got her a PlayStation Four console. No, it's the it, it, it's the the contradiction to your expectation that, right. that makes it funny because you you see him playing the game and he's on the headset and mm-hmm. he's chatting away and you assume that he's playing against Max or you assume that he's playing against some other friend, but the fact that he's playing against Audrey is. That's I just love it. the rug from under your feet. It's I just love so it. funny. I love it. I could tell he was playing against somebody in family because at the end he says, you too, which makes me think that somebody has just said, I love you to him. Right. I that love was, it. That was great. Uh, that, was, that was great. Sarah comes in obviously upset and when questioned admits to messing up and that her marriage is probably over. David tells her that this is what marriage is, to be patient and Adam will cool down and come round eventually. Look at David being the voice of reason. I know. Outside, Gary bumps into Adam, two pizzas. Gary is pleasant to him, joking that the stag and Hindus have been cancelled, so he and Maria will be spending their last night of freedom together. He's under the impression that he and Adam are all good now. Mm-hmm. Adam is quick to disabuse him of this. I'm not for your fucking mate, pal. I'm not your pal, buddy. I'm not your buddy, guy. I'm not your guy, pal. Adam says... All he wanted was for Gary to be exposed to Sarah, but not like that, for what he really is. And now that's happened, she's still protecting him. You're fucking welcome to each other. He leaves Gary to it, apparently riding a horse down the cobbles, but Gary can't help but have a wee look over his shoulder at number eight. I think it was the shoes that Adam's wearing on the cobbles that very much like uh, horseshoes, clip-clop, clip-clop, clip-clop <laughs> as he storms away. Nice uh, South Park reference there. Thanks. Yeah. On Friday... I'm not your pal, buddy. <laughs> <coughs> I'm not your pal, guy. On uh. Friday, it's Gary and Maria's big day. Sean sees Gary outside the florist and is surprised to see Gary looking so happy. You might want to paint a smile on that dial, he says. So Gary fakes a smile. He's here for the buttonholes. Mary says that they'll be ready two shakes of a lamb's tail. And Gary, for some reason, doesn't know what that means. A.K.A. 15 minutes and she and Sean disappear into the shop. Adam comes clopping around the corner, asking if Gary's marrying the right one. Sarah's a free agent now. Wouldn't take much to rekindle. He threw himself in front of a car, after all, for her. They could be sharing secrets together. Till death do you part, he says. And Gary just walks away. Adam's quite good at dropping the subtle hint, isn't he? I, I really don't like him, you know, trying to toss Sarah back. At Gary like this. There's a kind of... He's pimping his wife out. Right. Kind of fuel tip, which doesn't... Like, she's a free agent now. She's all yours. No, thank you. I mean... This isn't your decision to make, Adam. Right, yeah. And the insinuation that she, you know... She didn't say yes, but she also didn't say no when he asked him. 
when she he asked her about about Gary. So and her hesitation may not be because she loves Gary, but because Gary had just, you know, before he got run over by a car, said that he still or right after getting run over by a car, saying that he still loves her, which is not an easy thing to to hear from somebody that you're no longer with when you're married to someone else. And love isn't a binary thing. No. It's no. not, you can't turn it off and turn it on. No, and it's on a spectrum. Right. You can still care for someone that, right. that you used to love. You can still love someone that you used to, to be with, but right. not be with them anymore. Right. You can still have feelings. Yeah. You can have phileo love for somebody that you used to have eros. Sure. Yeah. It's... Adam seems to think that this is a... That it's a black and white. simpler... Yeah. And as a, a lawyer, you'd think that he'd know that there are grey areas here. Because they were together for a while. They were committed. Sarah grew tired of the lies and the covering up, but it's still conceivable that on some level she has some feeling for him. Right. And... And maybe that's that she doesn't wish anything bad on him, but maybe it's a little bit more than that. Right. It's not you're madly head over heels in love right. with someone it's and you can't like live you want without to get them. back together with him. No, but you can still care about them. Right. And not wish bad things upon them. And my fear is that, you know, Adam's going to put this idea in Gary's head and Gary is going to dump Maria and try to get Sarah back. Right. And Sarah's going to say, <laughs> no fucking way, pal. Right. I do not want you back. And then Gary's going to get mad and kill somebody. <laughs> yeah. It's... Uh, it's Maria I feel for in this. Sean says something uh, during that, that that whole mm -hmm. confrontation. Phase. Yeah. It's, 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 all, it's all getting a bit alpha. Right. And that's, and that's when he does totally what it is. It's, yeah. It's these guys who who don't have the depth to understand anything beyond the length of their own penis. Right, <laughs> basically. Yeah, <laughs> gorillas beating their chests. Mm -hmm. So Maria's doing her own hair. Emma is very excited, and Carla's practically hiding behind a curtain. She's on the wagon, and so is passed on the champagne. Emma thinks Maria should be getting tendrils. Very much getting tendrils. Yeah. They bemoan that Audrey won't be there because she's too busy playing Fortnite with David. But they need <laughs> to keep the oldies safe. And then goes on about how she always used to mispronounce tendrils. Carla pretends to blow her brains out and then wishes Maria luck and then leaves and then in comes Gary. And Emma proposes a toast. Maria briefly thinks that they should wait on Kirk, but then they crack on. To Winderland, says Emma. Be dead, dead happy for like years and years. The first half of which isn't ominous at all. Yeah. What happened? Is Kirk stuck in that bee costume? I have no idea what happened to Kirk. <laughs> because he doesn't make it. No, he doesn't. Spoiler, he doesn't make it. <laughs> oh, well, we assume he doesn't make it. Because, anyway. Anyway. This doesn't have anything to do with anything, but Mary, who doesn't work at the factory, meets a snippy Sean in the break room at the factory. She's brought something over for him to cheer him up, and it's a blanket covered in the faces of ITV's own Mr. Ben Shepherd. <laughs> It's kind of creepy. No relation. She want to who? To Jack Shepard. Oh, she wanted I, to. I'm assuming. She wanted to feel what it would be like to be wrapped, 
to be wrapped in him, but she offers it to Sean as his need is greater. She goes off on a bit of a rant about how she and the Good Shepherd would be like bolts of lightning together, but she wouldn't want to break up his happy family. Mm -hmm. She gives him a blanket, but she wants it back, cleaned, mind you, and then she leaves, Mm -hmm. and Sean is left... What the fuck am I supposed to do with it? Very confused. Right. And and Mary, you know, makes mention of the fact that neither she nor Sean have gotten their hole in a very, 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 very long time. Very long time. I'm glad that they're acknowledging that, that Mary is not androgynous. I'm a member of the Pine Bovril Forum. Yes, you are. Scottish football, essentially. But there's essentially. spin-off forums that are about other things, one Correct. of which is Coronation Street. Yes. And there's a guy on there, uh-huh. Satan's husband, who is very much the, the driver of this forum with his little updates. Mm-hmm. And it always surprises me that things that I love he seems to hate mm-hmm. and things that he hates you seem to love right he loved the whole blanket thing ben shepherd blanket he uh-huh. thought it was tremendous i thought it was cute you know it 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 doesn't mean anything it's just there like i said to add a little bit of levity on a really heavy week i think mary and, and sean are funny together like last week when he was yelling at her for singing out the window, that was funny. Uh, yeah, like, you know they're like they're like an old married couple, which is hilarious. <laughs> you know, they're like they're like the Ropers. Yeah, they are like an old married couple. Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> Maria is all dressed up but is frantically trying to get hold of Kirk. In comes David. What's with a ripped face, he says. And Maria explains that Kirk is MIA. David suggests M or Carla to be the witness, but uh, Maria's worried that she'll offend and says, the other one. And David says is skeptical. Carla but, is practically a dude anyway. And how how is Carla practically a dude anyway? Just because she hasn't come on to David. and But David is like the only one she's never come on to. No, I can see it. Carla practically a dude? I, I know what he means. Do you? <laughs> I think so. I don't think I, like, I can explain it, but I, I kind of know what he means. Yeah. So Maria asks... Uh, and the whole reason why David is there is because he has a present from Audrey to Maria for the wedding. Right. So Maria decides it has to be David who will be the witness. And he kind of reluctantly, but not really, agrees. He seems yeah. great pleased about it. He says you're practically family anyway. Meanwhile, Gary has turned up to see Sarah, demanding to know what she's been telling Adam. She tells him to go get married, and anything between her and Adam has nothing to do with him. But Gary seems more worried about what Adam told her. She doesn't think that's fair that he kills Rick the Chin, and she's the one who loses her marriage and whose life has been foobarred. He demands that she answers his question. <sighs> or what? You're going to bump him off too? He thinks she spilled the beans, but she tearfully shakes her head. I've got your back, she says. You shouldn't have spilled your beans to me. I got, I got rid of the watch. She you can't tell her own husband about Callum, and she can't tell her own husband that Gary knows about Callum. These two secrets are killing her. Adam thinks that she's covering for him. He left, and she can't even blame him. Gary says it's Sarah who's killing him. Sarah says, now I'm killing you, but two weeks ago you told me that you still loved me. And at this, someone comes into the house, and I felt for sure it was going to be Adam. But no, no, it's it's David. David. Ox, he says, (laughs) and Gary shits a brick. Yes. 
and that's, and that's how we end this week's episode. episode. That ending was great. Awesome. Yeah. Just awesome. It's so good. Because <laughs> I was for sure this is going to be Adam. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> and David's and just the reaction. Way Jack P. Shepard's face is just so deadpan when he says ox. You know, you can see underneath he's seething because he has already said this week that he was never a fan of Gary's. Right. Like Gary, you know, that he never liked Gary. So this just, and he's just come from Maria, who is a friend. Mm-hmm. And who know. has brought him into the wedding right. party. He's now part of the ceremony. Yes, he's now part of this. Ox. Yeah. Oh. David's going to fuck Gary up. There is no character Again. who could have delivered that line no. better. No, there's not. It wouldn't have been that line if it was somebody else. No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't have and been. it makes me wonder if uh, Jack P. Shepard had some say in what that line <laughs> was or if he improvised it. Have, have you listened to uh, Sofa Cinema Club? I don't week? really listen to it anymore. Because they did Monsters, Inc. Oh, they did? Yeah, they have this special arrangement because it's like the 25th. It's the 25th anniversary of Toy Story. So Disney Plus, I guess, is... is giving out like swag to a number of different movie podcasts or something oh. it's some sort of so they talked about monsters inc with whiskey colson smith now goes by cole he says this is cole smith nice try colson <laughs> <laughs> anyway um yeah that was that was that was brilliant and i think uh i think david was well used this week I just want to know, and I guess we'll find out on Monday, but how much did he hear? Yeah. Because if he heard more than just that last bit, Gary's in all sorts of trouble. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) Because David will have no problem (laughs) turning him in. Oh, none whatsoever. And he will grass him up Mm -hmm. to Maria in the blink of an eye. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I think Sarah had a very interesting point about the whole Callum thing and mm-hmm. Adam not knowing about it. Yeah, that's a kind of important thing about your past that you probably you should tell your you probably partner? should share because if it comes out later, it becomes much much worse. Yeah, and things are already bad between the two of them right now. Mm-hmm. Although Adam's hair was better this week, he's learning, <laughs> <laughs> learning how to do his own hair. I was hoping this was going to be a short one so we can edit it and get on our merry way. But yeah. we've kind of rambled on for an hour and a half. So. Right. <clears throat> I, I blame Will, Willem Dafoe. <laughs> and I blame a masturbating Robert Pattinson. <laughs> so what was your moment of the week? I think that was it. Do you know, the ox has to be the moment of the week. <laughs> it is... It, it, it can't be anything I else. mean, just that... And and the whole build up to it too, and and Sarah like just pound for pound, just hitting Gary back, and not standing down, you know, when he comes in there and he's being obsessive and you know demanding things from her, and and every time she turns it back on him and says, "Look, this is this is bullshit." 
you know, there was a you real been really emotionally manipulating me this whole time, and I'm fucking sick of it. There was a real progression in Sarah this week, where she was going from the the kind of dismissive, "I'm not answering your questions again" to Adam, and making it out like it was his fault mm-hmm. that that you're just you're. An annoyance. Him. You're an annoyance at, at yeah. this, and I'm not doing this again. Yeah. Even though the questions that he was asking were absolutely fair. Yes. But what what I really liked was, and this is why I think it, it felt so real, was her reaction when she's she, she can drop that facade in front of Gary, who knows what everything is all about, and says. I'm losing my marriage because of this, mm-hmm. and he's left me, and I can't even blame him. No. And that, and, w- that was enormous. And two, she has, at this point, she has nothing left to lose. So she's not being coy. She's not being shy. She's not walking on eggshells, worried about what Gary's going to do to her this time. Is get, you know, I have to be nice to him. He's going to raise the rent on the factory again. No. All bets are off. Because of him. She has lost her love, and what I'm assuming is a really excellent shag with Adam. <laughs> I'll just assume so, yes. Yes. Scottish men seem to know what they're doing. Well, that's ain't our first rodeo. Oh, so, that's a strange image. So, you know, so it's just like, she's not holding back anymore, and it's brilliant. It's a, just It's just all around, all three of them, just a really brilliant scene. I, I think I, I give her additional props for the the dimensional uh, layers that she seems to have and mm-hmm. operating with, because Gary is very much one man on one mission that yeah. he needs to know what, what she said. Yeah. And that's, Again, he's still very one-dimensional and not thinking beyond the length of his own penis. Right, and that's, that's believable, and that's right. absolutely fine, and he's absolutely. doing a fantastic job with it. Sarah's doing... She's doing a lot of the heavy lifting in, mm-hmm. in this scene by being this kind of uh, multi-layered, vulnerable uh, character who's been operating on two, two, two levels, trying to juggle these uh, contradicting things mm-hmm. at the same time. And then David walks in and says, Ox, and gets moment of the week. Right. Well, I, <laughs> I, I think all three of them in that scene together... But the, the screen but it, grab is going to be... Yeah, the screen grab's going to be David saying Ox. Right. Because it just, it it deflates everything with just one syllable, you know? Like, it really does, yeah. Oof. It, it, it's a little pin in the balloon. It shuts both of them up. Uh-huh. So, to cut a long story short, that's our... Moment of the week! Moment of the week? Boring moment of the week. Daniel. <laughs> be nice. I'm sure we'll be giving it back to Daniel very soon. Next week, yeah. <laughs> we can't even give it to Ken anymore. No. Ken and, and Daniel tend to be our, our go-to boring people. Um, I think it and was... And Brian. Brian wasn't in it to be boring either. Brian's seldom boring. Brian's often boring. I love Brian. <laughs> you love and that forehead. It's Dave talking about uh, sardine tins. <laughs> yeah, but he's got that lovely beard now. That doesn't make it not boring. It does make it not boring because you have something really lovely to look at. 
You have that lovely bearded face to he look really, at. He really, really suits up. I, <laughs> so I, I don't I agree had with to, anyone who says... I had to pause the show, get up from my chair in the dining room, walk into the office last night to say to you, Dev really suits that beard, doesn't he? He really does. And you're like, he absolutely does. And then I turned around and went back and, and finished watching the it's show. Like, there's a gray in it. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it, it just completes his face. It really does. I hope he keeps it. Yeah, me too. Not to say that he had an awful face before. That's not what I'm saying. Still, he was talking about how you love sardines, though. I do, but I don't wax lyrically about how nice the tins are. Fine, that's our boring moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. We fucking got that the wrong way around. (laughs) No intention of doing that. <laughs> so. If you've ever come to any earth-shattering observations on the transportation and containment of tinned fish and brine, feel free to share them with us. We are the talk of the street at gmail.com on email, which is also how you can leave a voicemail on Skype or drop a couple of nuggets into our virtual tip jar on PayPal. We are at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, mm-hmm. and if you're off the inclination and have the time, please take a minute to leave a rating and a review on the iTunes. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. We will be back next week with more. I'll talk of the street. Talk of the street. Bye. Gav out. Oh no. Cheerio. Cheerio.